Hey, babe, what would you like to hear again? Welcome to the 1984 Old School Show. What's your best friend, I'm telling you. Hi, and welcome to another episode of my XL podcast. For this episode, I sat down with my good friend Misha to talk about his journey through music. Misha is responsible for the massive track Access the label X-Tracks and his earlier works as Die Witness. Right now, Misha works at 24 Mastering, his own mastering company, and he's mastering the brand new ultrasonic album Hardcore Will Never Die, which is available only from Kickstarter. Check it out. Enjoy! Play the nah nah number and the people get sick. What would you like to hear? We are the Yeah. 
podcast mate it's just basically the story of your journey <laughs> through music oh my god <laughs> <laughs> so nothing not, you know we can talk as much in depth as you want as serious or whatever I mean what I've been doing with all the guests I mean I've just been inviting and talking to guys that I respect and admire you know obviously yeah, where, I saw, I saw the I saw the link that you sent me, but it was all very, very Scottish. So yeah. after like five I, minutes, I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to do the subtitles for some yeah. of them. I think. Yeah. But, I mean, start. I mean, starting off, when did you first realise that you had found the cure for coronavirus? <laughs> uh, I think it was in February. I was pretty early. Yeah, you know, could have prevented the whole thing. <laughs> oh, awesome. No, but uh, I seriously, so look, a young Misha going right back, was there a sort of track or a defining moment in your youth that you kind of had an interest in dance music or anything like that? No, I think my uh, my parents had um, an old uh, reel-to-reel. And maybe the mechanical side interests interests me, you know. Oh, okay. I was I was no I don't know five six seven eight years old or something, and I was like wow wow you know. And then there was this um, uh, producer here, uh, mixer Ben Librand, you know him? Yeah, I yeah. know the name. Yeah, and he always make, made mixes, and he uh, was uh, um, uh, was airing them on the radio. And I kind of wanted to do the same, you know. So that's how it, how 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 I started, uh, you know, cutting up tapes and uh, all that stuff. Still have a oh, tape deck it? here. It's like there you go. Oh, bro. Yeah, that that's a classic tape deck, that isn't it? Yeah, that's a big, heavy, uh, hundred kilo uh, machine. So that the the it was more the technical aspect that got you more than the music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it sure. just the, the the sort of thirst of wanting to know how to? put all these elements together to yeah, make something. Yeah, yeah, more or less. Okay. And because it was so limited, you know, I didn't have two turntables. Uh, I had uh, one turntable, which didn't even have a, you know, pitch control. I had uh, one cassette player and one reel-to-reel, you know. So <laughs> with yeah, that, yeah. you had to make a mix, you know. So it was very, very limited. So, uh, so was, you, was, you, was this DJ that you mentioned, was he, he had a radio show, so you'd be recording his show, and then would you be snapping and cutting loops from no 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 i was just you know he was kind of my uh, my uh my example you know yeah but that was a bit later that was uh, maybe a uh, beginning of the 80s so ah, okay yeah so was there any sort of music and specific that you were interested in or was it just abroad no i i, I always went to my uh, my neighbor uh, friend and uh, their parents had like all the records like uh, uh, Queen, Abba, uh, Dire Straits and whatever. And then we would record on the radio, we would record some, some funk or uh, soul or uh, maybe some, some early hip hop. Yep. You know, uh, Sugar Hill Gang, stuff like that. But yeah. Uh, yeah, gradually it grew, you know, with uh, uh, Kraftwerk or uh, Africa Bombata, you know, things like that. So it was yeah. disco, of course. And were you going out much? Or are you still at a young age? Or were you going clubbing? Or was oh, no, I, that, oh. at that time, you know, early 80s, I was uh, 9, 10 years old. So, you know, <laughs> I, was, yeah. I wasn't going out. <laughs> Do you know I'm like a Yet. false mustache? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's, not, it's not Scotland, you know, where everybody is 12 and they're going out and getting drunk. 
I think the legal limit limit for raving in Scotland's twelve. You know that yeah, you, yeah, get into, yeah. you get into an all night rave at that age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the production thing is is your is your sort of equipment just sort of growing and your interest in technology is growing. What was the first sort of professional pieces of equipment that you got? How how did you come round to buying? Because back then there's no internet. There's no how did you do no this? Internet, no. Uh, yeah, how do, how do I start it? I mean, I, I, of course, I knew about drum computers and everything, but I just didn't have the money, you know. So I, I remember that uh, my mom told me that, like, if you if you um, if you have your 16th birthday and you don't smoke, you'll get a, 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 a motorcycle, you know, motor, a, yeah. a scooter. And I was like, oh, okay, so uh, I did. I never smoked, so I got the scooter, and like two weeks later, I traded in for two turntables. <laughs> yes. Because I didn't have turntables, you know, and I, you yeah. know. So yeah, that, that's kind of how I started, you know. And then I could actually make some mixes, and uh, you know, later I got a little simple drum computer, you know, a Boss, uh, what is it, DR two two five or something. Yeah. Very very simple. Is that the kind of small ones with the? That's a small parts? one. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the one. And then you know you get a, a sequencer, and then you get a, a synthesizer, uh, keyboards. So yeah. yeah, that's how that's how it grew. And a lot of the sort of other DJs that I've spoke about, be them from Europe or the UK, everyone speaks of the the record store where they bought their records is almost like the the internet of back in the day. You know where other people met, spoke oh, about yeah. technology, records. Was, was there one near you? Were you traveling to one? Uh, in Rotterdam, so not not that close. Or I would go to uh, even further, like uh, Arnhem, or uh, like an hour away. Or we'll go to uh, Gent, to uh, Belgium, uh, Music Man, uh, Amsterdam. I would go to as well. There was you know so many so many record shops where you would go because you know you, you would always find something else in a different shop. Yeah. You know so. And of course, they, there you meet a lot of uh, other DJs and other people, and you would talk to them and get inspired yeah. and get ideas. And your first sort of forays into music, was you doing that yourself, or did you hook up with anyone else at the start? You know, when you were first getting into producing, how did how did that come about? No, I just did it myself. That's you know, it grew uh, it grew from doing mixing, you know, like uh, to make, making two records and uh, recording it to tape and making uh, some some sort of remixes, and then it grew into you know you you add a little drums or whatever, and then it gradually uh, evolved into uh, producing. You know, my first sampler was a, a Roland MKS uh, was it MKS 80 or something MKS 100. It had yeah. four. You could load four samples, four samples, and each uh, less than one second. And you had to you had to save it on two discs on each side. You know, so it was like yeah. completely crazy. But yeah, that's yeah. that's you know that's that's how it started. But even back then, with four seconds, I bet you thought, "Wow, four seconds!" <laughs> it, it was like a big deal. <laughs> and it was eight bit, you know. You're like, "Wow, oh, this sounds really good, man!" Because you, you know, you didn't know nothing. You didn't know yeah. nothing. You were, you were. And I, I would record something really fast, you know, uh, like you yeah. know, really fast. So I, I would slow it down in the sampler, and then you have a little bit more. But you know, of course, the quality was complete crap. But yeah, I think. I think that's probably how a lot of the kind of fast drum and bassy breakbeat kind of stuff started through accident. You know, people sampling the the hip hop loop beats 
really fast to yeah. save sample memory. Yeah. Then listening back and saying, oh, wow, that's actually something quite good to work with here. Yeah. Actually, you know? I had uh, in um, I Am The Creator, Die Witness, there is uh, there's this uh, long uh, siren, you know, like in the beginning. Yeah. And I was recording, but I didn't have the sample time, you know, to record the whole uh, siren. <laughs> so what I did was when I was re recording to tape or whatever, I don't remember, uh, I, I was playing a record, a sample record with the siren. And then at the end of the siren, I forgot to pull the fader down. So <laughs> after, you know, the next sample was <laughs> So And that is still in... I am the creator, you know, after the long sirens comes a whoa, and that's, you know, just this next sample that was on the record. <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, but, hey, it's, it stood the test of time, it's doing, it's doing the job. I, you know, I told ah, well, you know, it's, it's on the beat, it's fine, you know, it sounds good, so why not? Yep, and, and back then, you're mixing things live, you know, it's not like today where you've just got it on a screen you know you're, you're running your synths your drums of course everything live of course yes yeah. you did everything so, on the mixer you know yeah my first sequencer so, had like uh four four uh, four tracks four channels yeah. i think four channels and one drum track so you know it was nothing yeah but i think you know you managed to capture some sort of special sounds and what was the first record that you put out uh, observing the Earth. Was that your very first tune that you put out? Yeah. Wow. Did you have any... Was there any sort of... Was there like months of shit demos you were making until you went, no, this is great, this is... The months? Years. I mean, from, you know, <laughs> from when I was zero till uh, I released that. It was... Yeah. And, you know, people would argue that, you know, uh, Observing the Earth is still crap. So, you know... <laughs> <laughs> So with the, I mean, with those sort of early tracks, was that you just working alone in the house? Was you, is it all your own equipment? Are you borrowing any equipment? How's it coming? Yeah, about? there was a, a friend of mine, Pete Bedervoets. He's uh, he's now doing Rank One and uh, with uh, Benno de Roy. He does a lot of things for Armin van Buren and stuff. So uh, he was living close by, and he had a Akai sampler as well. I think I had around that time I had one Akai sampler, but you know it wasn't extended with memory or anything, so it was like really limited still with the uh, with sounds. So I think I borrowed it from him or something. And then we kind of started working together a little bit. And then uh, we, we did the Observing Earth together, so... Yep. Uh, yeah, that's, that's how it started. How did it feel, uh, you know, like how did you go about, what was the process in getting that out to a record label? Was it DJ Friends or who, who put it out for you or who No, we record, interest? No, we recorded a, a demo because I didn't have a mixer at all. Uh, it was just, you know, uh, it was just uh, output uh, left and right from the sampler. And then uh, I think Pete uh, went to um, uh, Midtown in Rotterdam, the, the, the record shop. And he brought a cassette tape and uh, they, they played it in the store. And it was, well, oh, it sounds good. And then that's, how, that's when they wanted to release it. So we went to uh, René Bakker to uh, do the mixes for the four tracks that were, that were on there. And that, that's how it started. What was the sort of influence in those early eyewitness tracks? Where was you sort of drawing your inspiration? It was just uh, a big pile of samples and, you know, like, oh, this, <laughs> oh, this sounds good, oh, this sounds fun. You know, yeah. it was, I don't think there was a big idea of, you know, I want to make this or this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. How did it feel when you... Sorry. 
No, Observe in the Earth was just a, a big pile of samples, you know. Yeah. The other tracks were maybe a bit more techno-y. Uh, so yeah, I just I just made what I liked. And I always yeah. did actually. Something that, something that got you excited in the moment in the studio. Yeah, exactly. How did it feel when you got your first sort of white label test pressing or your finished record? How did that feel? Man, that's that's 30 years ago. You're asking a lot now. I don't remember. <laughs> Can you remember? No. Is no. it not something that you still kind of cherish? Or no? No, I can't remember. I can't remember. That's really like it feels like a different life, you know. Yeah. Well, it's, it's bizarre because it is 30 years ago or thereabouts, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So going into the the second, obviously you, you got a runner sort of. Die Witness material at that time that's all you're focusing on how does a live band you know obviously it's a success of the record and people say oh come out what made you go down this sort of live uh, PA as opposed to like the DJ inside of things what was the I think process the, I think the, the, the PA in that time was bigger than being a DJ yeah and uh <clears throat> I, I also did a, a, a like a live performance with René Bakker who was mixing the, the, the Observing the Earth and he had a, a project called the Dead Kirks. You remember that one from Old Midtown? I think oh, yeah, it was one of the first yeah. or the very first uh, release on, on uh, Midtown. Oh, okay. And uh, he did a... Um, uh, he, uh, there was a, a club in Rotterdam and they wanted to do a PA and he asked me if I wanted to, to be on stage as well and that's kind of how I started to, doing the PA and like I said I think in, the, in that time the PA was a bit bigger than, than doing DJ sets yep. so that's how we decided well, let's, let's do a PA for Die so Witness so what, what was your first Die Witness PA where, can you remember whereabouts that I think it was in the same club as where I did the okay. Deathworks in Rotterdam but uh, soon after that, it uh, went mostly to Scotland and Australia. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, what would be your first gig in Scotland? Would that be Hangar 13? Hangar, yeah, probably. Yeah. And was that round about the time of your second release? Because I always remember the tunes were amazing and then the artwork and all that, it just seemed to piece together. You know, like you put in your mind that the artwork and the music and it's just yeah it, it looked like a big company this. right and it was it was all just me you know like ah oh, let's do this it's fine <laughs> <laughs> and I also remember your your dancers they were like two hot dancers was that friends or was that just like girls from the local strip club or something no 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 it was just uh, friends you know and in that time uh, because I couldn't really live from from only the music. Um, I was working in a, as a light jockey in a, like a local uh, commercial club yep. and uh, one of the dancers was the, the sister of uh, the guy who was working there and the other was, was a friend so you know that's, that's, that's how we all came together and like yeah you gotta do, we gotta do PA and you wanna dance and you know that's, that's how we started out. Hey babe, what would you like to hear again? Die what would you like to hear again? Only if I had one more, time to kick the rhythm that keep a ripping out of door. So the real criminals get exposed behind the clothes. Doors in a suit stack, make it bring the law. Only if I had one more, time to kick the rhythm that keep a ripping out of door. So the real criminals get exposed behind the clothes. Doors in a suit stack, make it bring the law. Only if I had one more, time to kick the rhythm that keep a ripping out of door. So the real criminals get exposed behind the clothes. Doors in a suit stack, make it bring the law. Only if I had one more, time to kick the rhythm that keep a ripping out of door. So the real criminals get exposed behind the clothes. Doors in a suit stack, make it bring the law.
was there any any sort of thought put into the live show or was it just let's turn up and have some fun uh, no, there was a little bit. It was a little bit. Uh, you know, of course, it was all about having fun. But it was a little bit. Uh, you know, like yeah, we got a. You know, a little bit synchronized and uh, and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And we in the beginning we had like uh, because the. The, the green monster on the on the record label we had like the green monster masks you know in the first few yeah. gigs that we did in Scotland long so. before Daft Punk you were wearing masks so oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I still I still have some <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend them for corona but you know yeah yeah and so like can you remember like uh, what was again I, I know it's mad because we're talking 30 years ago and stuff but coming over to Scotland for the first time, can you remember your first couple of shows there and how did that compare to the shows that you'd done back home? I, th- I, I remember Hangar um, because it was always so crowded, so hot, and it was always raining from the ceiling, you know, all the condens was, you know, uh, yeah. it's like, and it was much more, it, the feeling was much more underground than it was in Holland. You know, in Holland it was a bit more uh, posh and look at me or whatever. And in, in Scotland it was just everybody going completely nuts and, you know, only yeah. dancing and going crazy. I, I think there was a big difference between uh, between Scotland and, and Holland. We never actually did a lot of gigs anyway in, in Holland. Maybe in total five or six or something. Ah, okay. Yeah. When did Australia get you out was that what mid 90s or something was that your first tour of australia yeah probably 90 93 94 maybe yeah something yeah. like that and putting more music out did you start to feel kind of the pressure of i need to follow up with another big track and when did the business start kind of kicking in on it oh no not really i always made what i liked and yeah. if, if it didn't if you know nothing came then you can sit in the studio for for a month, but nothing's gonna come. So um, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think I felt any pressure to to produce any any special tracks or yeah. whatever. Well, that's good because I think I don't know. Sometimes you know when you have it back then, like the rave scene's exploding and you know everybody's thirsty for that sound. Mm. It's, it's hard, I think, you know, when you're getting... To, oh, can you get us another tune just like that? Or, you know, we want to do one as big as this. Can you get a better one? And so yeah, you just like... Everybody, everybody always asking, you know, like, uh, uh, for instance, when I did the extracts, when I did uh, when I did Access, you know, the big acid track. Yeah. And uh, people came, like, uh, half a year later or a few months later, like, yeah, when is the next release coming? I was like, oh, I already made it, like, uh, you know, two months ago. There was, uh, yeah. you know, this and this track. Oh, yeah, but it's completely different. Yeah, you know, this is uh, the next one. Yeah. I, I never felt any pressure to, you know, it, music was never, t- for me, about money or uh, fame or whatever, you know, it was always about, you know, uh, working with friends or the, 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 the fun side, making music or, uh, you know, the mechanical side or the technical side, it was much more interesting for me than, yeah. than all the other things, you know, so. Yeah. What about the, obviously when you came over to Scotland, you've, you've kicked off a relationship with Trevor and Neil, how did the... The future come about you know because that's like a big scottish rave anthem isn't it you know well uh, uh, both neil and and trevor were working at the hangar of course yep and uh i think maybe the the third or the fourth time that we we went there we were like yeah maybe we should you know we should do something together and i think that's that's as simple as how it went i think uh, trevor came over he brought his uh, 303 
Yeah, Neil came, came, came over as well. We've sat down in the studio and I think the first track we made was uh, the future. So. <laughs> Brilliant. Had you already had the structure of a track or were you just building it on the day? Sort of I can't remember. I think it was a little bit of... Uh, uh, I think Trevor made the 303. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm. I'm kind of guessing right now. I think Trevor made the 303, the the, the loop, and uh, I think I had the, like the piano kind of stuff already made. So, and then we came together, and then it was you know like basically. I think it was like maybe one uh, one day, one full day, and it was done. Yeah. Was you back then when you're producing? Did you start to have like a, your setups obviously building up? You know, round about you, the technology. Mm. Did you have go-to bits of? Equipment. Then, favorite pieces of equipment you were using? No, my, my, you know, the, the the centerpiece was the mixer. I did everything, yeah. everything, all the effects and all the things I did was was the mixer. You know, all the frequency loops and whatever the 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 the, the, the freaky things I always did on the mixer. You know, was, yeah. so the the mixer was always the the, the big uh, the big thing. And back then, it's probably you're doing it live because it's not automated. You know, you're you're in the mix live. Yeah. Well, the, 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 I think the future had a, like a arrangement a little bit, you know, of course. But uh, yeah, you know, like I said, all the uh, all the effects and all the little yeah. little things you do on on the way. Yeah. So while you're while you're doing die witnessing, you know that that was huge. You're touring the world. Is there a point in things when you're you're sort of getting unhappy with the rave scene and you're starting to think maybe about your extracts projects or are you doing other things at the same time as Die Witness? How did how did the sort of other projects come about? I, I think around the time when the music started to split a little bit, you know, when um, in the begin very beginning of the 90s. You could play anything on any party, you know. Everything, everything was the same: a house, techno, uh, acid, uh, hardcore. Everything you could still fit on one party. After a while, that kind of split, you know. And that, yeah, yep. there was only hardcore party. It was only or the, only this or this. And um, for me, the the hardcore scene was never my scene, you know. I always was more into the techno stuff. So when that kind of split. And I was doing a, a die witness uh, in PA somewhere. I wouldn't necessarily enjoy the other kind of music, you know. Yeah. So then I was like, ah, I gotta do something else. And I, so I think I think that's that's why I started to doing more and more techno stuff. Yeah. And you know, not only did you start doing techno stuff, you started your own label and all that as well. Extra yeah, that was later label, in yeah? two thousand. Yeah. Ah, okay, so you'd started producing well, stuff. Well, I mean, extracts was of course was was mine as well, but I just did the A and R, and the yep. Mid Midtown was the, the the legal owner of the the label. Ah, okay. So, was it was there a time when you sort of thought, I'm bored with Eyewitness, it's over, and you put it to bed, or did it just sort of just kind of it was always bubbling away at the side, and you focus more on Misha and your own projects. Yeah, I think uh, the last uh, last one, the last I witnessed was uh, Brainstorm, which for me was one of the very cool tracks. And, you know, it hardly sold any, you know, I, I don't remember how many copies, but, you know, it was not as popular as I would have thought it would be, you yeah. know. And that was kind of like my, okay, this is, this is why, you know, I should stop this because I don't want to make music that I don't want to make, you know. Yeah. Uh, I just want to, I, like I said, I just, I just do it for the fun. And if I don't enjoy it, then I'll stop and do something else. Yep. So. So you, you did that. You stopped and you you focused more on starting your own label. Yeah. Yeah. 
Are you going out more DJing yourself as Misha, or did this come after like the success of Access and stuff? Uh, that came after. Yeah, I never, I never really, uh, I never really was DJing. Yeah. Only you know when when the extracts came out and it was starting to get popular, I got a call from uh, from Germany. It's like, yeah, we really love these records and blah blah. Can you also DJ? So yeah, you know, I know how to mix two records. This is not a problem. <laughs> so and that's how it started, you know. And then yeah, because the especially you know you're you're always going to be associated with Access because it was such a massive track when it came out. Mm. For you, it's just you continuing making the music that you love.
kind of thought behind access was that just where your head was at yeah it was just uh, the spur of the moment you know it was like uh, and it, 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 again it wasn't really a well thought uh, idea it was just like hey Tim let's go to the studio Tim was also working in the same uh, commercial club still around 95 and we're like yeah you know we gotta do something uh, make some make some cool techno whatever so we came to the studio and like two three hours we 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 finished access Brilliant. And again, you had you had the labels that you knew you would give it to, or you were A and R in for extracts. You said um, the the first the first, first one first one was stripping out, so I already did the label. Ah, okay. When when I stopped uh, Die Witness, I did uh, two releases with uh, with Jeroen Jeroen Schrijversov. He's now doing uh, Jeroen Search. I don't know. It's very minimal techno. Does the right, things okay. for Lenfaki. Ah, okay. And. Um, we did two like a bit like techno uh, tracks called Misha Rune because we, Misha and Jeroen, you know, together. Yeah. And uh, we released them on uh, on a label in uh, in Zoetermeer, uh, Jinx Records. Yeah, I know that label. Yeah, and um, after that, uh, Midtown came to me and they were like, "Yeah, you know, we we love these records. Why didn't you come to us with the, with this two?" two uh, I'm like, "Yeah, well, you know, we're just releasing things and uh, whatever." So uh, then, then Midtown said, like, well, you know, if you want to start a label, you can do it with us, and that's how I started Extracts. Yeah. Are you? The problem I think with the the music industry is people think it's one thing. It's it's really two things, isn't it? There's the music, and then there's the business. And when you focus on the business, your music suffers. When you focus on the music, you're open for. The business to suffer, you know, be it a third party I'm on that side. advantage. <laughs> <laughs> I signed some really, really, really bad contracts in my day. Six <laughs> percent royalties. I think, yeah. I don't think any artist has went and signed great deals all their life, have they? Now, especially at that time, you know, there was no internet, and uh, yeah. 
you know you never produced uh, you never produced anything in your life uh, and all of a sudden there comes a record label with publishing and whatever and they you know they explain it a little bit but yeah uh, you have no idea what you're signing and uh, and, yeah. and and what it really uh, how it really goes so yeah we we had back they're still here just now there's a thing called the musicians union mm. even when you went to them as a dance producer they had no idea of the concept of dance music and DJs and mm. PAs they were more like rock and roll so they, they couldn't even advise you or help you or if they did you would go back with this rock and roll kind of contract to a, to a dance yeah. label and they'd be like what the fuck is this yeah, you know yeah, yeah. So you're kind of stuck, aren't you? You really just kind of going, ah, oh, fuck it. Let's get the record out. You'd sign anything. That's that's how. I, I mean, you know, it paid off. You know, even the bad contract paid off. You know, so I'm, I'm yeah. not complaining. But if I had to do it, you know, now, then you know, I would look at it different. But yeah, it's a, it's a good way of thinking about it because in many ways, if you hadn't assigned the bad contracts you may not have started the ball rolling to get yeah. to where you are now. Exactly. So Yeah. Was there, was there any sort of point in time, you know, I want to get to now where you are with, with mastering and all that, because you've developed this full, you know, we could speak about when that started. Was there a time when you had just enough uh, music and you've just went back to, you know, to me it all seems to have led to where you are now. You know, you, it was always the technology, not the music that you yeah. were interested in. Then when you were saying you were making the music, it was the you were excited more about the mixing desk rather than the equipment. Now you're here for the last I don't know how long now. You've just been concentrating solely on mastering. Ten years. Ten years. Wow. And you're mastering for some of the biggest, if not the biggest, artists in dance music and you know music in general. Mm -hmm. Was it a is it a, was it a conscious decision? You'd have enough music, and you were just going to focus in on. Mastering? Like I said, I I always uh, I always wanted to in music. I always wanted to do what I liked. Uh, I started Die Witness. I liked it for a while. Then I didn't like it anymore. I stopped it. I started Extracts. I I liked it for a while. I I stopped it. Then I did uh, my own label, Rerun. Then uh, after a while, I stopped it. I had a booking agency. I stopped it. And now, you know, I started doing uh, mastering and, you know, until now I still like it and it's 10 years uh, since now. Yeah. And, you know, I always been, uh, you know, I think Armin said once, uh, we're like, uh, producers are all nerds, you know. Everybody starts in an attic and I'm still sitting in an attic, you know, so. <laughs> a very, a very lo lovely attic. Uh, yeah, a bit more expensive attic than, uh, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. So, you know, I mean, in, in music, if you don't love what you're doing, then uh, either be open about it and say, I, I just do it for the money and I don't care, uh, you know, how it sounds or whatever. Or you do it because you love the music and then you focus on that, so. Yeah. How did the mastering come about? Was it something, as you're producing your own music, are you taking more of an interest in the test pressings and the masters you're getting back from, from other companies? You know... Yeah, I think around 2008, I um, I started to lose interest in in uh, in making music, and I don't even remember what the last one was. But uh, I was finished with the track, and I was like, okay, I'm done. You know, it felt like okay, I did everything I wanted to do in my repertoire, uh, uh, producing yeah. wise. And it felt like, uh, you know, it was finished, you know, it was a door that, that closes and I was like, yeah, I got to do something else. I still liked, you know, m working with music, 
but in a different in a different way you know yeah um, and then I went to uh, the, the the mastering engineer where I always got the, the records for extracts and uh, and all my other records and I said and he was about to retire and I said well you know I, I want to learn how to do uh, mastering if, if, if I bring some clients to you uh, maybe you can learn me and then uh, you know he was getting the money for it and uh, and that's that's how I started and I did that maybe oh, wow. one or two years uh, and then after a while I started my own company that's great mm. so you're working with him is it a lot it's all like outboard gear you know yeah, at, at, the time, is it, at the time was it still people sending you digital files or were they sending you dat tapes um, both both yeah yeah so you're so you're lear- you're really learning from a guy who's been doing it forever. It's almost like an apprenticeship. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then d- did you buy all his equipment? And then are you also buying more? And no, no, no. I, I he still had his own studio, and then uh, I also started, you know, at the same time. And uh, I think the f- the first equipment I made myself actually is like a insert switcher where you could you know do the the balance and the, and everything. Yeah, and it's you know like 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 everything else. It started really small and grew, 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 and then yeah. So now that's your full time job. You're just you're mastering. Yeah. When when did the sort of because we've we spoke for years about you know bookings coming over and doing it. When when did the when did the people like me start annoying you about coming to do a a die witness classic set or a Misha set? Because when we first started speaking, I remember you were like. I'm not, I'm not really, it's not really what I want to do, or I'm busy uh, here with my own stuff. Then you do it and you kind of enjoy it, you, you've kind of re-embraced it, you know, it's, you make fun and have a laugh. Yeah. How long did that take you to kind of go back to your past and, and celebrate that time again? Mm, yeah, I don't, I don't remember, I think... Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't remember, I think it was... Um, because I was asking, I was asked too much, you know, I was asking uh, too often. It was like, yeah, hey, come over, come over to play, come over to play. And I, I just, I just felt like I wanted to do something completely different, you know. And then after a while, you know, it's, of course, it's fun to see you and to see Neil and to see all the other people, you know, in Australia or whatever that I haven't seen for years. And yep. that was mainly the reason I said yes to a lot of gigs, you know, because I knew that uh, some other DJ friends were playing there and then, you know, it would be fun to see them. So that's that's basically that's basically why I still say yes or no. Yeah. If I knew somebody, if I know somebody is going to be there that I haven't seen for a long time, then I say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go. And otherwise, yeah. I don't care how much money they, they, they give me. I'll say, no, nah, I don't want to do it, you know. Yeah. So now it's think- p- it's purely about fun, you know, it's, it's, it's yeah. Yeah, and I think that's that is very important what you said, and that is that's what's good about it. You're at a position now where you can choose the people you want to work with, no. the parties you want to go to, you know, and celebrate the good times rather than being locked in a room with some fucking maniac, places you don't want to be, dealing with promoters that are just shady. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you can have a good laugh and you know catch up with friends, play some yeah. music. I mean, when when you're only DJing and that's your living. You, you you cannot afford to say no, you know. Yeah. When you have another job, and you don't care about uh, much about money, then you can just say, well, no, I don't want to go, or yes, I'll go because this and this and this. And that's that's my situation now, you know. I can I yeah. can I can choose. Yeah. Because it's not your main main income. It's just a fun thing now. It's, it's really a, back to being a hobby. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And I think, um, it, again, what was kind of bizarre for, for me is when we, when we were hanging out in Australia and having like a laugh, it was almost like it was bizarre because we were playing like this sort of old school party. Remember the, when we went across, the, literally across the street and it was like a big trans party. Uh-huh. And I, I just remember it was it was like going into two different tents, you know, where you had the kind of hardcore raver and then you went out to the next tent and it was just a sort of trans raver waiting in the breakdown. Yeah. It was a weird kind of sound clash. And Pete was playing there as well. Yeah, yeah, Pete, that's right. Yeah. From right and a ferry backstage. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's almost surreal, isn't it? You know, when you've got that sort of... I felt as if we'd walked out the 90s and then walked into the present day. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the 90s looked a lot better. <laughs> I mean, it did, you know. It was like, I, I heard it in the, in the other party. I heard them scream like maybe once. Yeah. And there was actually a, there was a, a track from Pete and me as well, which I, wow. I, I didn't I realized later like hey I remember this oh it's mine. That was the only time I heard him scream and uh, you know we, then we went across the road to our party, and you know it was everybody was full on so. Yeah, it's crazy, it's yeah. absolutely crazy. Yeah, ah, it's good man. That <laughs> ah, was a laugh. Yeah. And how how are you obviously coming up to now? You're actually in a, in a fortunate position because you're still keeping busy. I mean, a lot of artists, again, don't have any shows. Mm. It's looking like 2020 is a write-off. But yourself and a couple of other friends are as busy as ever still because it's been a great a great time for people to produce music and you're also getting new tracks getting sent to be mastered. So I guess life's not stopped for you. You're still probably as busy as ever. Yeah, I had um, a little bit of a dip maybe end of March. Maybe for like a one, two weeks, it was like uh, really, really slow. But then April was uh, better than uh, any any month before, and uh, this month again is uh, better than any month before. So that's yeah. great. I, I'm not complaining, but I also do a lot of other things. You know, I, I do uh, mixing for other artists as well. Uh, I do uh, a vinyl cutting, of course, uh, the master yep. lacquers, which is a, a lot of work. And that still continues as well. So even if the, if the the online mastering would be a little bit less, I would still be cutting master lacquers. So yeah, no, it's it's still pretty busy. Here. Brilliant. I mean, we spoke the other day. You were you were doing some mastering on some jazz music. Do you have a favorite style, or again, is it just all about getting it to sound good, regardless of music? Genre. Well, that is my job, of course. My job yeah. is to make it sound as good as possible. But of course, I have my, you know, uh, music that I like and music that I don't like. You know, uh, sometimes uh, I have to start at eight o'clock in the morning, and it's the hardest metal that you can imagine. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like, oh man, jeez. <laughs> You know, and some other times, you know, and even the, the jazz that we were talking about, it was like, you know, there's some jazz that I like, you know, I'm not all, I'm not a huge jazz fan, but there's some jazz that I like, but this was like, let's bang on a trumpet and see how it sounds, you know, <laughs> a bit like that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, but every, well, every, every, day is, every day is different, you know, you never know what you're going to get. That, yeah. That's that's what I like. It's all, all kinds of music, uh, orchestral, uh-huh. uh, classical, uh, hip-hop, uh, funk, disco, everything. 
Yeah. And I mean, it must be good as well because I imagine you probably still keep in touch with some old friends if you're massed on some of their tracks, you know? The con- you st- connection some is... The, some of the, the connection, connection is coming and is it, is it? Can you hear me now? Yeah, I think so. Am I back? Is the video there? Yeah. I can see you, okay? Okay, yeah, the, it was... Ah, okay, sorry. Maybe my end. I was just saying... Are you still are you still kind of keeping in contact with a lot of old dance producers who are still on it? You know, because I think we were speaking to like Ferry and Pete. You know, they're still you know churning out music. Are you still doing a lot of sort of dance mastering for old friends? Uh, not a whole lot, but uh, some. Yeah, I do for um, uh, Jam Records for Jeroen Verhey. Uh, Michel de Hay, uh, yeah, I do a lot. I do everything for uh, Sweat It Out in uh, Australia, which is uh, a big label. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, there's so many things. So coming out, coming away from music, as uh, what is it you do outside of music? What, what do you do to relax? Because it's hard to listen to music 24/7. I don't listen to it. No, music is my job, and then after after I'm done. Uh, I don't have any speakers or CD players or whatever uh, outside my studio, so... Yeah. So no even podcasts or anything, it's just that, that you enjoy the silence? Yep. I even watch, I, I watch TV without sound. <laughs> <laughs> just to see the pictures? No, nine out of ten times I watch TV without sound. And I just uh, read the subtitles and that's it. Even yeah. some movies I have without sound. Just to give your ears a break? I just like the silence, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know, it's just grew like that, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's cool, that's cool. And how's things How's things in your, your local neighbourhood with the, the, the lockdown? How are you dealing with that? Has the social distancing been lifted or...? No, still um, one and a half metre, but you can go out. But we always could get, get out, you know, we, we had no uh, hard lockdown. We could get okay. out anyway, as long as you keep your distance and uh, don't uh, a lot of people together, then you can go out anyway, and which which is now still the same. And now they're gradually getting into uh, you know the uh, cafes are opening and the restaurants are opening and, and things like that. But yeah. it's you know, it's going to take a long time before everything is back to normal. Yeah, and Scotland have just allowed us now you can meet up with another family. Yeah, yeah. it has to be outside and and all that. I think yeah. I think 2020 is kind of like put on a sideline until hopefully things get better. I'm sure they will. I don't think there's going to be any gigs in uh, in 2020. Yeah, in Holland so, uh, at least you know it's uh, they said no big events until uh, there's a vaccine. So yeah, yeah, and I, I know it's, it's strange times, but again, I think it's probably going to be a good time for a lot of artists to write some music if they can get their head in that space. And then maybe when the things get back together, people will appreciate even more getting together and playing music and celebrating. I, know, think, I, think, that's, I think that's going to last for maybe half a year. <laughs> and then after that, yeah, that's maybe I'm pessimistic, but uh, I think it's not going to be a huge change. You know, everybody's like, yeah, everything is going to change like uh, economy and uh, environment and everything. Nah, I don't think so. It's just like six months and everybody, everybody's back to normal. Back. Yeah, yeah. Oh well. Everybody's well, helping me. each other. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> Kumbaya. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I 
Uh, maybe I'm just a dreamer. I don't know. <laughs> maybe I'm pessimist. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, that reminds me when we were DJing this show you were like listen let's just do our sets we'll have a drink we'll have a laugh then I think with too many Jack Daniels and you're like let's, let's go come on back to back <laughs> <laughs> didn't we do it back to back in Australia yeah. I think so yeah <laughs> I think there was about six of us all doing yeah yeah back to back to back to back one song each <laughs> it was fun though you know that's what I like you know have some fun on stage and who cares <laughs> uh, well listen it's been absolutely great catching up with you I mean it would have been great to do it in person but I thought you know it's good to spend some time and just get a chat and a catch up I'll be over anyway you know uh, whenever it's possible again I'll, I'll be over again so as, as soon as you can as soon as it's safe to do so yeah we'll see we'll see when what what are you mastering later today? What kind of musical delights? No, I'm done. Uh, I have uh, about eight, eight albums to do. Wow. But uh, not today. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be Monday. Yeah. And, and an album, is it obviously each... Again, this is me just get, getting geeky, but you're taking it as each track, but then you also need to try and get it flowing like one piece or how, how what's the headset for doing a mastering job on an album well you? this is this is cutting oh, okay, uh, this is cutting so this is already mastered this is already leveled everything is uh, you know yeah. it's just one file you play then you put markers uh, on wherever you want the, the track to start and so that's basically very very simple uh, but if you do an album then of course you make sure that uh, you know the, the, the flow the levels and the, the, the balance and everything is correct yeah, that's cool. But oh, you do your own mastering, no? No, I, that's one thing I can't do, Misha. Uh, I just I end up arguing with myself. I don't even know if I'm doing it right. I, I think I respect what you do because I think it genuinely is an art form. Because I, I struggle with, you know, I'm happy to write music, but the minute I try to master it, I start asking myself, is it better? Was yeah. it better before? Am yeah. I doing anything right? That's that's. So, that, I never mastered my own tracks. Even yeah. when I knew how to master, I never did my own tracks. Because it's 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 a completely different mindset. Even now, when I would produce for like an hour, I would have I have to switch back to, you know, mastering mind, you know, like how to Yeah, yeah. Because it's it's a completely different mindset. Of yeah, course it has, both has to do with music, but it's it's you know, you have to make a switch for 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 how to do it properly. Yeah. I mean, then even in the mastering side of things, I would imagine that you'll get your artists that just want the EDM loud mastering, but then you've got rock music and jazz music where I'm sure there's still the, you know, the the, uh -huh. the, the nuances and, and just the volume, you know, so you hear the music breathe. It, it, you know, is it something that you, you, you stay away from or is it? You know, if somebody goes, oh, get it louder. You know, it's not, it's not always about being loud, but there's a balance there, you know? Uh, you know, obviously uh, a jazz or, uh, you know, classical music won't go until, you know, crazy, crazy levels. And then yeah. it's just more about balance and about uh, nice dynamics and everything. Uh, but I have some, some uh, you know, dance artists, you know, house or whatever, like, yeah, I want it really, really, really loud. That's fine, but I have my limit, you know, because my yeah. name is on there as well. 
And uh, I don't want to. I, do, I don't want to uh, release any bad sounding music. You know. So if 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 they want it louder than I want to go, then they have a problem. It's simple yeah, as that. Yeah. yeah. And then we work together once, and then you know, that's it. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of uh, really, really bad sounding uh, uh, music out there and, you know, I, I don't want to be a part of that, so. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel about the, I see your advertisements for like digital, like, it's just like you send an email away with your track. Yeah. And it's not even like someone that does it, it's just a machine that's doing it. Spin. To me, that's just insanity. You know, I, I don't care. You might as well. You might as well just put a preset are. on it. You can just install uh, Ozone or whatever, and you put a preset on it. Yep. And you get exactly the same. That's that's not mastering. That's you know putting some level on it, and that's it. Yeah. That's you're exactly right. It's just putting it through a preset. I mean, yeah. But uh, I, I, I have to say that never take you know dance music is is not even my biggest uh, is is not my biggest genre anyway. Uh, I have maybe I would say 25 percent or something is dance. And the rest is all rock, uh, classic, uh, whatever. Yeah. So. No, it just shows you. Because I think you can get away with a preset on dance music, but you couldn't get away with a preset on like, oh, know, rock music, you know? No, <laughs> no. especially cutting, uh, cutting master lekkers. Uh, you know, the, the most difficult thing to cut uh, on, on the record is uh, orchestral music, you know, classical music. Yeah. If you do a little bit too loud, it's gonna distort and it's gonna sound right away. Uh -huh. With dance music, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't matter because you won't hear yeah. it. Well, listen, Misha, it's been brilliant catching up with you. Thanks very much for taking the time. All right, man. We'll talk later. Yeah, definitely. Stay safe. Yeah, Yo, you too, man. <laughs> you. See ya. See ya. Okay, party people. Tonight. Live on stage, die winners, the night waver, and special guest, DJ Trevor, and MC Cyclone, make some noise! Check what's up, Scotland Posse, it's time to reach our hands across the sea, to our friends in Rotterdam. It's time to unite two nations as one. It's time for the ultimate hardcore. This is the future. Do you understand? Sound of the Rotterdam. We're gonna wind it up now.
1994 old school show. Oh.